Good, good. Listen, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Jonah. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 2, and I said it last week, and I'm going to say it this week. I mean it. If you need to rock that table of contents, no judgment. No judgment here. Just you flip on to the front so you can flip somewhere to the middle. Today we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. And what I'll do for just a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you flip, search, dig, find. It's right past Obadiah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys usually incorporate that into m- many of your weekly readings, so just right there. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to love you, to know you, to be loved by you, God, to be consumed with grace. And Father, it's an amazing thing that you, in your faithfulness, in your goodness towards us, would take the time, God, to engage us, would take the time to encounter us in relationship, God. You would take the time to make yourself known to us. God, that absolutely blows my mind. That you are the God of creation, the one who breathed out the galaxies, the one who at your word life became, began, and flourished. It's you, God. So this morning, God, I don't want to put on any airs, God, any pretense, God. Lord, I know that I'm nothing this morning. I pray you hide me behind the cross, Lord. And I pray that every single word that comes out of my mouth this morning would be honoring and glorifying to you, God. I pray as we look into Jonah chapter 2, we would see, hear, feel, and know the gospel. Lord, that's what I pray as we sift these scriptures around. I pray that the, the cream would rise and the gospel would be seen in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody together said... Amen. All right, Jonah, the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. I want to, we're in two. I'm going to give you, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you a real, a three-minute snapshot of what we learned, what we thought about, what we grappled with really, really quick. Uh, Last week we talked about Jonah. We we began and just kind of unpacked that Jonah was a real person. Nineveh was a real place. Um, that Jonah was a historical figure. A lot of people say, well, the book of Jonah, it's about this big fish that swallows a dude, and it's really just allegorical. But really, Jonah was a real man who said real things that's recorded in real historical documents in the Old Testament. And then he's quoted by Jesus. Jesus talks about Jonah. So we have two references, one from Jesus, who for us as believers is a pretty trusted authority, right? The trusted authority, right? So Jesus talked about Jonah. We know Jonah's not an allegorical figure, but Jonah was a real man. And this is kind of what happened last week. This is kind of the the, the launching of the story of Jonah. God calls Jonah and says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to ask these people really to proclaim over them that I've heard their evil, it's come up before me, and I want them to repent. And Jonah takes a minute or maybe like a half a second. He's like, God, I'm not really good with that. I'm going to go to Tarshish. And we talked about how there was an expression of how deep his rebellion was towards God. Jonah was in Joppa. Okay, Nineveh was 550 miles this way. Tarshish was 2,500 miles that way. So Jonah was like, God, I know you only want me to go 550 miles. I'm getting away from you, Lord. Going 2,500 miles the opposite direction. I don't want to have anything to do with the Ninevites. So we talked about God's call. Jonah, I want you to do this. 
And we talked about Jonah's running. No, God, I don't want to do this. I'm going to run from you. I'm going to get away from this thing. And then we talked about the cost of sin. We talked about how Jonah, even financially, it, it cost him something to get on the boat to go to Tarshish. So financially, it cost him something. But much more than that, Scripture says that when God hurled a great wind against the ship, that the mariners begin to throw things overboard. That they begin to throw their possessions and their belongings and their goods. They begin to throw everything overboard, thinking maybe if we lighten the ship, we won't capsize and we all won't die. And the point we made there last week, the point that we wanted kind of everybody to wrap their minds around was this idea that when we sin, when we run from God, when we disobey God personally, it doesn't just personally affect us, but it's, it affects our sphere of influence. It affects the people around us that we love the most. So our sin doesn't just have an impact on us. We kind of, you know, we think that way sometimes. Well, I'll do what I want because it's just me and my life. No, there's a lot of people that love you and depend on you and are surrounded around you. And that your sin, your rebellion, my sin, my rebellion impacts in a negative way. So we talked about God's call. We talked about Jonah running. We talked about the cost of sin, how the mariners lost all of their belongings and threw everything overboard. And then we talked about the grip of God's grace. And this is really interesting to me that in our English Bible, see, we put the chapters and the numbers of, you know, the verses and all that stuff in there. But back in the day in the Hebrew Bible, verse 17 of chapter 1 was actually the beginning of chapter 2. But we went ahead and hit chapter 17, verse 17 last week, and this is where we ended on, the grip of God's grace. We talked about how in that moment, Jonah was, I mean, you remember what happened, if you've ever been churched at all, and if you haven't been to Sunday school, this is a really crazy, traumatic story we tell our kids in, like at three years old, but Jonah, they're like, what do we do? And Jonah's like, you got to throw me overboard. So the mariners, man, they're like, okay, they pray to God, they're like, God, we, they make a sacrifice last week, we determined it must have been like the captain's parrot or something. We don't know what other animals would have been on board. So kind of, you know, they make the sacrifice, make some vows to God. And Jonah's chunked overboard. And we talked last week about the tension in that moment. Jonah had no idea there was a fish. The mariners had no idea there was a fish. So Jonah in that moment, the only thing that could have been going through his mind, the only way for these men to spare their lives, I want to be noble, I'm a prophet, I'm a pretty religious dude, right? My name's Jonah. I've said some things, it's been right. God's people know me. Kind of a big deal. If they throw me overboard, it'll save their lives, so let me just die. And that's where Jonah was. He was in this place where he thought God was about to kill him. And Jonah says, guys, just throw me overboard. And the scripture says that the men threw him overboard. And then verse 17, it's really where we'll start today. But verse 17 says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And the point where we landed last week and kind of the, the catalyst where we'll take off together from today is this reality. There are moments in our lives where we feel like God is absolutely killing us. We look at the waves around us, we look at the options, we look at the circumstance, we look at the problem, we maybe even look at the sin, and we think, God, why in the world would you do this? You are killing me. And there's no doubt in Jonah's mind, he had to be circling some of those things. Man, God, I've, I've prophesied in your name, I've done these things. No, dude, you're going overboard. 
We talked about how in that moment where Jonah thought that God was going to kill him, that he was at his absolute lowest point. He was shamed, being thrown overboard. God was creating some one-on-one time. God was positioning in the deepest, most darkest, difficult moment of Jonah's life. God was positioning Jonah for the most intimate and real conversation they had ever had. So this morning, before we launch into all this is just, all this is intro, so just hang in there, put your seatbelts on, we're going to ride together this morning. If you're in a place today, if you come to church and you say, TJ, I feel like life is killing me. I feel overwhelmed. I feel full of anxiety or depression or guilt or shame. You don't know what I've done in my life. The sin, TJ, I feel like God is killing me. What I want you to hear is the same thing that Jonah heard. Man, I'm positioning you to be more intimate, more deeply in love with the creator of the universe. You are being positioned to be loved on and to be cared for by God that you don't even really deeply know yet. But when you get through this trial, when you get over this situation, you are going to see him and know him and delight in him like you never have before so thank God for the fish amen thank God for the grip of grace that when we are at our lowest thinking that God is about to kill us we are swallowed up by grace I'm going to read you chapter 2 because that's what I'm actually preaching today And then we'll go on. It's only 10 verses. You can stick with me. Then Jonah prayed. We'll start in 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to you out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. And I want you to, uh, in the Hebrew, a lot of times Sheol is accredited to the word hell. Hades and Sheol, when you read that, maybe across in your scripture, but here, Jonah, really that word just means the grave. That's what Jonah thought. I'm in my grave. I'm going to die. I'm at my lowest point. And you heard my voice for, and if you're taking notes this morning, if you've got a pen or if you're taking notes, I want you to circle this word, for you, verse 3, for you, circle that. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and flooded, and flood, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I want you to circle that right there. Your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and I was at the root of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet, circle that word if you're taking notes, you don't want to write in your Bible, just scribble a huge yet on the side of your Note sheet, you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When I was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I will vow I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the great fish and he vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Now let's go work back through it together. Point number one, if you're taking notes this morning. There was an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. If you're not taking notes, text it to your buddy because you're probably texting anyways. Tweet it or Instagram it. I don't care. Acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. 
Listen to this, 117. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. And this is really going to tweak and mess with some of our theology this morning because what we want to do is say, those waves are Satan's waves. No, 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 that well, that's Satan. But Jonah's saying, Lord, these are your waves. Like my boat is being rocked. I was thrown into the sea, not because Satan stepped into the story and decided to do something bad to me, but because you wanted to position me in a place where I could see you and know you like never before. There was this instant acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. These are your waves, God. These are your billows. And this is your fish that swallowed me. See, there's so many times in the life of a believer where we're walking through distress, where we're walking through suffering, we're walking through discomfort. And listen, I just want to be real with you today. Suffering is a real part of the Christian life. I know that you might read some books or listen to some preachers that say, God just wants you to have health, wealth, and prosperity. And that's what it's all about. And you can have your best Friday right now. And this is, you know, it's always going to be happy and joyful. But Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus said, if you want to reign with me, you will also suffer with me. So I don't, want to, I don't want to feed you a line of junk this morning. I don't want to sell you a bill of goods making you think that if you surrender to Jesus, everything's going to be roses and sunshine. Yeah, you ask the disciples and Thomas was speared. Peter was crucified. Historic, historians would say crucified upside down. Historical Jewish tradition would say he was crucified upside down. There was a disciple that was boiled in oil. Ask those guys about their best Friday. <laughs> Suffering is a part of our life. But so many times we're willing to give it to the devil, aren't we? Like, oh man, the devil caused those waves. The devil caused that to happen. No, what if God allowed that to happen in our lives so that he could draw us closer to himself and reveal that we really don't have anything to give, but all of our dependence, all of our life should be thrown on him. You say, TJ, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't really like that. Listen, I'm prideful too. I don't like it either. It rubs me the wrong way. I'm like, God, why didn't you just like knock on Jonah's, like he was asleep. Why didn't you say, hey, Jonah, man, don't you want to rethink this whole thing? Kind of go back to Nineveh. He allowed his life to blow up. Because God was working a radical replacement of religion. If you're taking notes, that's point number two. See, Jonah was a very religious man. I said it earlier, but Jonah, I mean, he was kind of somebody. There's some cool spots in the Old Testament where Jonah said, Hey, everybody, children of Israel, the Lord said this is going to happen. And then it happened, and everybody was like, Holy smokes, this dude's a prophet, right? So Jonah was kind of like, Brush your shoulders off, you know what I'm saying? Hashtag Jonah's right. You know, it was crazy. It's kind of his life. He's religious. And he had an incredible head knowledge of God. I remember my conversion experience. And I just want to share this with you real briefly. I remember my conversion experience, and I remember that 
I had memorized and could quote more scripture than a lot of the people that I knew. Remember, I would go to youth group at my grandfather's church and and somebody would begin talking about a story and I could go to the verse and I could, I could, I could kind of finish the rest of the story and, 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 and I'd memorize and memorize and memorize a lot of scripture before I knew Christ. And I, I had all this intellectual kind of, I had an intellectual relationship with God. I had this religious relationship with him to where I knew who he was, I knew what he was about, I knew that I was supposed to go to church and maybe throw some money in the offering plate, you know what I'm saying, and crinkle it up so nobody knows it's a dollar, make it look like a 20 somehow and throw it in there, right, big baller or whatever, but it's like I had all of this up here and Jonah had the same thing, but my heart was absolutely empty. Like I had all the religion in the world but I had absolutely no relationship with the creator of the universe. And Jonah's in the same place. But God, listen, God was placing Jonah where he was for the glory of God and for the good of Jonah. You say, why in the world would God allow him to be swallowed up by a whale? Why would God allow the sea to crush him in the way that it did? Because God was positioning him to know him and to depend on him like never before for the glory of God so that at the end of the story, everybody might say, look how awesome God is. and Look how good that was for Jonah. See, this, when we walk through suffering in our lives, and man, listen, there are just times that you're going to suffer. We have to cling to the word and remember. Scripture really did say, you know, there's all these articles. Don't ever tell someone that's going through suffering that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Why not? Like, even the darkest moment of our suffering, even the most most nasty despair that we might ever feel even in that moment God is working for our good something that we can't imagine and I want you to know listen I want you to know I'm not just saying that as some dude to you you guys know like three weeks ago I had this weird tinnitus thing that went on in my ears and, and my ears started ringing and I couldn't sing, I couldn't sleep for about 11 days, couldn't really eat. I, I mean, it was, just, it, it, was, it was a real, real, real dark, despairing place. Thought I wasn't going to be able to sing again. And like two weeks later, um, our foster child who we've had for two years is reunited with his mom, which is so God-glorifying and awesome. But it's like in those moments, you're tempted, and I, can I just be transparent with you this morning? You're tempted to say, but God, I serve you, right? Like, God, I, I live for you, man. Why are you letting all this junk kind of pile on at one time? Why are all these waves crashing on? God, like, like, what did I do wrong? You know, like, did I screw up somewhere, God? Did I step the wrong way? And it's in the midst of that darkness that you hear the Holy Spirit whisper, all things work together. For the good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. In the midst of, and I'm not saying that to like shine light on me. You guys know that this morning. I, just, I want you to hear, I don't want you to think, oh, TJ, everything's going good. The service that he's over has really grown and it's blossomed and he's doing really well and everything's just great and it's rosy and he has a really smoking hot wife that's way out of his league, so his life is just perfect, right? No. Though those things are very true, I want you to hear it from me in the midst of darkness, in the midst of suffering, 
in the midst of not wanting to get out of bed and think, man, why even go on? In the midst of that, the Holy Spirit says, my grace is sufficient. These are my waves, TJ. These are my billows. The storms come from me. But I'm positioning you to a place. Listen, hear me, because I know you're there. I know whoever you are, wherever you're sitting, I know you've walked through that, or you're currently sitting in that right now, thinking, God, why me? And I want you to hear me say that so he can position you to know him and see him and to delight in him. God placed Jonah where he was for his glory and for Jonah's good. God in that moment was ripping from Jonah. I used that word intentionally. I was going to use something a little more soft, but I wanted to use that word. God was ripping from Jonah his sense of entitlement, his sense of pride, and his sense of self-reliance. I mean, Jonah was a prophet. Like, we read what God said. Jonah, like, God was talking to him. You know what I'm saying? thought he was somebody but in this moment God is ripping from him his pride I mean listen to what he says is in James chapter 4 it says but God gives more grace therefore it is written God gives grace God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble See, in Jonah's position, the position of Jonah's heart where he was running obstinate towards the Lord self-righteous He couldn't have fellowship with God. He couldn't have intimacy with God. So the most loving thing that God could have done was send a storm to break up the ship and have the dude thrown overboard. I know that sounds crazy, right? But we've heard that before. Like if your your kid was running towards the intersection and there's a a truck bearing down on them, what are you going to do? You're going to stink and tackle your kid. You're going to go Herschel Walker on them, aren't you? Yeah. You don't care if it scrapes their knee. Why? You want to save their life. God is working in our lives the same way. And there are moments where God just Herschel walkers to save us, to restore us, to redeem us, to bring us home. God was ripping Jonah's religion from him because religion gives us the idea that we bring something to the table or that God needs us or depends on us. See, that's why God was ripping from him his pride and his religion, his church attendance, his tithing. And you say, TJ, I don't know about that. I think God really, really cares about church attendance. Like, we keep record and tracks of it, and we have programs that track all that stuff. We think God cares about the money that we give. We think God cares about having Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, and Sunday morning, and Thursday, Tuesday. All, we think God, all those things really, really, really matter to God. Those are the important things to God. I want to read you what God said about those things. All those are good things, by the way. Isaiah 1, 13 through 19. Bring no more vain offerings or incense. It's an abomination to me. The new moon and the Sabbath, that was their day of rest, their church day. The calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feast, my soul hates. 
They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash, therefore, make yourself clean. Remove the evil from your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct the oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Through your sins are like, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are there. Though they are like crimson red, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Can I translate that? Not the King James Version, but the TJM Version 2016 and how it would read. I don't care about your Sunday morning gatherings. I'm sick of your potluck dinners. Like I'm over all your musical worship and drums and guitars and your your sound and your lights. I'm just kind of over it all. Like, that's what God's saying to his church, man. Read it right here in Isaiah. It's like, God, please don't say that to us, right? But he's saying it because his people, Jonah, his people were filled with religion, but they have absolutely no relationship. And that's why God said, come now, let us reason together. This is what he said. Now that we got your Sabbath and all your junk out of the way, all your religious traditions and all these things out of the way, come now, let us reason together. Let me tell you what's important to me. Be willing and obedient. I mean, that's what he said. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, you'll be like, well, if you are willing and obedient, God said, I just, I just want you. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate the money you put in the offering plate on Sunday morning. I'm really glad that you make it a habit to come to church and be around believers. I'm super glad that you have prayer time. You know, I mean, that's what God's saying. But listen, I, all those things are good and fine, but I want you. I want a relationship with you. Because religion at the bottom of the ocean is worthless. When Jonah was in the, bo- in the belly of the whale and he was at the bottom of the ocean, there were no amount of ties that he could give to get him out of it. There were no amount of Wednesday night services or Sunday morning services that he could attend, no amount of Sunday school classes, no amount of Christian literature that he could read to get him out of the mess he was in. Our religion is worthless at the bottom of the ocean, but you know what matters? Our relationship. God did not want religion. He wanted repentance and obedience. God in this is exposing for us and for Jonah the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want our running and he doesn't want our religion. He wants our relationship. And that relationship has been made possible through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Listen, there are no hoops to jump through this morning. I mean, this is how scandalous the gospel is. That the God of all creation, who could have required you to jump through a million hoops and make a million sacrifices and bend over backwards and do all these ritualistic things to come to him, the God who could have done that instead sent his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And rather than you and I carrying our cross up Golgotha's hill and dying there, Christ Jesus went and died in our place so that you and I would have free access to the Father. God did all that through Jesus so that you and I could throw religion away and have a relationship with a God who loves us, a Father who wants us.
It's ultimate surrender. Listen to 4 through 9. I'm driven away from your sight. The waters closed over me. I went down the land. The bars closed upon me forever. This word right here, yet you brought my life from the pent, from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when I, my life was fainting, I remembered the Lord. Real repentance is brokenness over sin. Jonah was in a place where he was truly repentant over his sin, not just sad that he got caught. I want you to see the difference this morning. Because sometimes we ask for forgiveness or we say we're sorry because we got caught, not because we're truly repentant. I'll tell you a real quick story. Uh, when I was in school, for whatever reason, our teachers, I was a terrible student, and our, our, I had a certain, we had a certain teacher that would let us grade our own papers with a red pen up at a desk. We would have the answer sheet and our paper, and I guess to save our work, we would grade our own paper. Well, I don't know if you know this, but if you take a piece of number two lead and slide it down in a red big pen, it'll work just like a pen, but it'll be a pencil. So if you take your blank sheet and the test sheet, you can actually fill in all the answers and get 100. And I remember getting caught for cheating in school. Or I, I knew a guy that got caught for cheating in school. And I remember this guy was sitting at the principal's desk, and the principal had a board about this long, had some holes in it, and he was just like, dude, you are going to get a paddling. And I remember in all of my, in all of my bravado and manliness, I was just like, no, God, no, you know. But I cheated again. I was just sad in the moment that I got caught. I didn't realize that my principal actually had dreams and hopes for me and that I'd broken his heart. See, he didn't paddle me that day, but tears welled up in his eyes and he just said, I'm disappointed in you. And I remember that, I'm like, that's repentance. When we realize that our sinfulness and our depravity has put us in a position to where we're broken over our sin, not because we got caught sinning, not because we got caught running from God, but because we broke the heart of a God who gave up His Son to have us. There was a brokenness over Jonah's sin, a brokenness over his relational separation, but in his brokenness, there was this undoing of religion and an institution of a relationship. And when you're broken over your sin, if you ever, God graces you to the place where you feel this brokenness, real conviction over your sin, and you repent, you ask God to forgive you, and he fills you with the Spirit. All religion's done away with in that moment. There's an institution of a relationship that can never be taken away from you. Last point this morning, if you're taking notes, and we're going to wrap up. Very last point. Grace is messy. We just talked about repentance, and I want to talk for just a second about grace. The very last verse in the Bible, not in the Bible, in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited him out of his mouth. Now, vomit's a pretty real word, right? Like it's pretty gross. It could have said, and God allowed the fish to be beached and the mouth open up and Jonah come out with light beaming off of him, clean and perfect. No. 
God allowed him to be vomited up. He allowed other people to see the mess. Because grace is sometimes messy. See, in the midst of Jonah's running, God could have allowed him to die. He could allow the ship to be broken up. But he allowed the fish to swallow him. He allowed Jonah to repent. And in his repentance, he brought him to the shore. And the fish vomited him on the shore. I want you to hear me this morning. You say, TJ, you don't know how dark my sin is. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. I want you to hear me say this. Grace is messy. Grace is messy. God doesn't expect you to be some clean, perfect, put-together person that gets everything in order and right and then come to Him. He expects to meet you in the middle of your mess, in the belly of the well, at the bottom of the ocean, and to say to you, my grace is sufficient. So bring your mess. Bring your burdens. Because Jesus is the only one that can handle them. And the only one that can carry you through. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. And God, I just want to personally say thank you for God stepping into my mess when I was a teenager and saving my life. God, thank you for stepping into my depravity and my nastiness and my shame and calling me a son. Lord, you didn't wait for me to get cleaned up and to have a good reputation. God, you took my mess, my bad reputation and everything and you called me your son. And Lord, that's what I pray for our church this morning. I pray that we would be a... God, we would be a church that's willing to admit that, God, Lord, we, we're a mess at times. But your grace is sufficient. And your gospel is good. And we don't have to jump through all these religious hoops to have a relationship with you. We simply have to repent and turn to Jesus. So God, we love you. And as we respond in prayer today, God, I pray that we would just do work with you as you do work in our hearts. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.